This week on Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras, we continue our examination of the Vedic tradition of astrology as part of a larger tradition that is found in some form in virtually all cultures. This is the second part of my conversation with well-known British astrologer Trissa George, who talks about one of her own specialties, the astrology of weather prediction. And we continue to talk a little bit about the history of astrology. This podcast is presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web, and I encourage you all to participate in the Shiva, Shivaratri Yagyas in some form. It's a great way to support this podcast, and it's good for you as well. And to make it even easier, I've added a special button on the podcast page over at Pujanet. Skepticism about astrology is both a very natural and ultimately healthy thing, although I think ultimately astrology and Jyotish is both art as well as science, we all need to be careful not to fall into a fatalistic attitude. Good astrologers always explain astrology as a trend, not carved in stone, but something that can be changed with effort and awareness. When used properly, astrology guides us towards greater success peace, and satisfaction in life. So we join the conversation as I ask Tricia about her experience with the astrology of weather, and the conversation continues into a discussion of the history of astrology and how it combines the traditional knowledge of many cultures. Uh -huh. so I'm just curious to know what kind of insights you have in terms of the the astrology of weather and weather prediction? First of all, I, the reason I uh, took up astrometeorology was um, you can make predictions forever. Uh, and, and people can argue about whether your predictions come true. For example, my brother will always say, oh, it's because you told them that. They went out and made it came, come true. Don't be silly. Um, right. Whereas in astrometeorology, actually I had a similar experience. I... My neighbours over the road said to me, uh, look, we want a party, it's my neighbour's 70th uh, birthday, can you do a weather prediction, given that they really think I'm crazy uh, <laughs> for even thinking about astrology. So I said, yes. Uh, so I tell you what, I'll do a couple of predictions for this week and then you'll know whether I can do this or not. And on one particular day, it had been quite dry, and I said... It's going to rain at 10 o'clock this morning. And I went out, took the dog for a walk, got back. And my neighbour said, you got the hose pipe out, didn't you? You did that deliberately, didn't you? Because sure enough, it rained at 10 o'clock on the dot that morning. And he, is, he, he didn't want to believe that you could predict the weather to such an extent that he actually accused me of getting the hose pipe out and dousing the whole garden with it. So with weather, you cannot actually, you know, if it's going to rain, it's going to rain. You can't suddenly say, oh, no, it, it only did this or it only did, you know, if it rains, it rains. It's inarguable. It's a fact. Of, oh, of I see. So you use this as a as as a way of objectively measuring absolutely how good the astrology principles is. of astrology. Absolutely. Right. So, um, I've only been studying it for three years. I, one of the uh, lists I belong to, they've got the world leaders on this list. Mm -hmm. uh, people like Caroline Egan, Nancy, uh, and McEwen and Ken Ring and Ken Peone, brilliant people, absolutely top notch. You ask, uh, you know, they they do weather uh, like eating breakfast so easily, but they've been doing it for very many years, mm -hmm. um, and they're very impressive. And it's nice, you know, because when you're posting with people like that, you pick up a lot, but not a lot about the English weather, sadly. Um, and certainly the English weather, for example, we don't get tornadoes, and those people I just referred to can actually say what day the tornado will start, what its path will be, which town or city it will begin and which one it will end in. We're not ravaged by them so much. Ours mostly happen out to see the, 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 the bad ones. But what we do get, and 
um, increasingly in England particularly uh, is floods. Uh, so I've developed very much my astrometeorology um, to look at flood charts particularly. And so, yes, I can now look at a chart quite quickly and say, oh, yes, that's a flood chart, and particularly uh, for the region where I live because of another additional understanding that and insight that I've developed just through studying these charts. Um, I did actually write a feature on this for Star Teller magazine a couple of last year where I showed how looking at, for example, the UK chart for 1066 uh, and seeing certain degrees that were operative in that chart, the Vedic chart, you could actually um, you know, predict when very great floods uh, were going to happen in the UK down uh, hundreds of years and cycles of time. Um, but with my own local astrology, I only do astrometeorology for my local area because um, I can... These people I mentioned earlier are fanatical and obsessed and they seem to spend morning, noon, night and even dream time surfing the net to find whether their weather prediction came true. I just don't have that time. And so I is, figured, this a, right, is this a Western... Uh, they use Western astrology, Western, yes. And, and you? Uh, I use both. Uh-huh. Um, I have the... Uh, I have books, a couple of books, uh, one by Patak, which is excellent, uh-huh. uh, and of course Briat Sanhita, uh, and um, the Saptanadi sort of approach. Right. The problem with uh, Vedic astrology, not that it's a problem, but the, 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 the special feature of uh, Vedic astrology and astrometeorology is there isn't anything in terms of its archive that helps me living in a western country to predict hail, sleet, mm-hmm. uh, snow and, and that you know nuance of weather. Um, I'm not sure why because up on the Himalayas of course they get snow right. um, but I've not come across reference to it in any of the literature I have accumulated mm-hmm. on Vedic astrometeorology. Um, quite simply in western uh, astrology, because I learned that years, decades before I learned Vedic astrology, so it was interesting to go back to it. Um, yeah, I decided that if I was going to do this, I haven't got this time to go surfing the internet, I just need verification of looking out of the window. Right, last week I predicted, or two months ago I predicted, that today would be wet and windy. Look out the window, oh yes, look, it's wet and windy. Simple as that, without this endless research necessary to evidence your your prediction, really. Um, so yes, basically, that that's how uh, I've progressed with astrometeorology, and it does uh, enhance your understanding of mundane astrology, for example, uh, we had a fire in London at the weekend in Camden Market, which is quite a big event. Uh, and London City's uh, ascendant is uh, Gemini. Uh-huh. Uh, and sure enough, Mars uh, is there in Gemini. Uh, and this fire hit London, Camden Town. Um, and, and it's nice if you're doing weather charts... Uh, you're very aware of what's going on in mundane events for cities and countries uh, over and be And don't forget, well, you won't know, in England we've just had uh, the Archbishop of the Church of England really under attack uh, because of the statement he made uh, that was grossly... Uh, misinterpreted for the sake of press coverage, really, and to sell newspapers. And I, uh, but of course, we've got a, a Mars opposite Jupiter going on at the moment in Vedic astrology. Is that right? 
Vedic astrology. Uh, well, well, I think Mars is Mars is still in Gemini, and I think Jupiter is in um, Sagittarius, so it would be. That's yes. correct. So yes, they are opposite each other, mm -hmm. but not in Western astrology. Mm. But the fact that I do both makes me very aware of of which factors are actually quite uh, regulatory. Uh, you know, so often the, I do find I can read more using Vedic astrology than I can using Western astrology in terms of mundane charts. But in terms of the weather, um, yeah, I, I, you can still use the Saturnadi approach and uh, for astrometeorology. If, for example, there's a day I think, oh no, is that really going to be a day where it's strong winds and this starts and you can, you know, use the uh, rotation of the planets through this sort of snake, uh, Nardi-like figure, uh, to, to just to confirm. So it's good to have two systems, I think, as long as you don't confuse the two. But I really like, uh, I have learned such a lot uh, in, about astrology for both systems, Vedic and Western, since I took up the study of astrometeorology and it's enhanced I think all levels uh, of my astrological thinking and practice and prediction uh, on so many different fronts I feel I've grown with it and uh, well, I and the, and the idea of, of weather as, as being a, a check on the accuracy of your of your oh yes, in, in absolutely, good, in, in a good objective sort of way. Yeah. Absolutely, right. absolutely, and, and so, the value of this system of astrology is that for the cynics out there who say, "Of course it doesn't work," you can say, "Well, look, let me do next week's weather predictions for you." You know, and it's so it's not so frightening for people if you're doing it that way. Well, of course, uh, here in Los Angeles, I could be brilliant because. You know, sunny in mid seventies. Um, that describes nine months of the year. <laughs> ah, but these. So, so one of the obvious one of the obvious questions then would be, from the perspective of of uh, astrometeorology, what does that have to tell us about climate change? Because that's obviously on everyone's mind. I haven't come across uh, any. Um, surviving evidence that Western astrology uh, kept a record for posterity uh, of those kinds of cycles of time. I'm sure uh, that the Greeks and the Egyptians, as did the Babylonians, uh, probably did, as the Mayans did also recognize uh, these cycles of time because they're just multiplications of the revolution of, of the planets and, and their epochs. Uh, the same as the Mayan Dresden Codex, the Venus tablets, uh, recorded uh, very accurately uh, the cycles of Venus. Um, and certainly looking at these uh, Celtic or, or, uh, or ancient stones in, at Nose in Ireland, it's almost as if, yes, they too were recording for posterity a message about the cycles uh, of planets. That's very clear. But again, we haven't yet reached the sophistication, nor with Egyptian hieroglyphics, suffice to understand what that message is. Um, but it would seem, yes, there there is some, perhaps some evidence that the West... The At West, one point had, the, had a sense of these larger cycles. Traditions yeah. did understand that, absolutely. But not written in a way... That, that that we are yet able to relate to. But I th and the reason I would suggest that they did know is because they did have intelligence sufficient to see cycles and to build something as monumental as Stonehenge mm -hmm. or go under the ground 
and do engravings or use stones, massive monoliths with etchings on them, you know, which they knew would last forever and ever and not be destroyed. So, yes, I think there, there, there is an understanding. It's just that in India, they've, they've kept theirs for, if their tradition for, say, Parashara, Priyatsant Mahita, can be traced back to 5,000 BCE, then fine. And certainly the, the Egyptian hieroglyphs were possibly so old, their messages are so old, uh, but if we're looking at Neolithic or pre five B five thousand BCE, then uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, there were messages to be had, but nobody has yet fully translated them. So there isn't a book or a tradition in the West such as the Brihaspatihita, Parashara, Varamahira, uh, Jemini, etc., um, that we can call, call upon and. Had there been, the nearest we've got to the oldest teachings of the Western Manilius and Ptolemaic writings, um, which I think are probably only two and a half thousand years old. So is that, would you say then that the Western astrological tradition goes back, you know, 2,500 years to, the, you know, to the Greeks? And, oh, see, I, I wonder, I mean, because I'm, I'm admittedly not knowledgeable about Western astrology, the it seems to me to be kind of an amalgam of the astro the astrology of a number of different cultures throughout you know a number of different eras whereas what would characterize in a broad sense jyotish is that it's considered to be one of the vedangas one of the limbs of the vedas and therefore um it w was probably um, I don't want, really want to use the word pure, be, um, uh -huh. but, but less less sensitive to um, pulling in Adul knowledge from Ad other cultures. I, think. Uh -huh. I, I uh, I'm reserving judgment there, Ben, because uh, I now go back and read Ptolemy again. I mean, I read him thirty odd years ago uh, before I learned. Vedic astrology, uh, and I recently reread re Ptolemy and and was quite shocked because some of the things that Ptolemy was saying I realised were actually said in Vedic astrology. Some of the uh, ways of looking at a chart, in fact, for example, um, one of the chapters in in Ptolemy very appropriately describes the function of Upicheya houses in Vedic astrology that isn't even referenced, talked about or discussed in Western astrology. Mm -hmm. And there are many other features such as that in Ptolemy that were made me draw breath when I realised that, gosh, I don't wonder I wasn't understanding those at that time, I'd only just learned Western astrology, but now I've learned Vedic astrology, I can see that some of what Ptolemy is talking about is very Vedic, not Western at all. Uh, and, and a lot of ancient treatises, such as Ptolemy's, um, uh, again, convince me that there, that there, there wasn't this difference in cultural understanding. There was a unity. It's just that We've been left with a fragmented system because of a series of invasions and destructions and perhaps cataclysms also. Well, that's the thing that, you know, the history of the world, I suspect, is much, much grander, much older than, than we suspect. If the culture was more consciousness based as opposed to material based, they would not necessarily have the same need to build uh, build things that last and last and last and last forever and so uh -huh. any trace of those cultures would be fairly minimal and then obviously over the years um, would be lost so you know it's possible that uh, there's a lot we have yet to learn about uh, about the past absolutely Good. this week for chanting because it's just before Shiva Ratri will start with a wonderful rendition of Rudram 
the main hymn about Shiva from Yajurveda. And then after that, Satyo Jatam, which is usually chanted after Rudram. And finally, just for fun, a selection from Touching Grace by J. Kishore, a wonderful modern sitarist whose work can be found at magnatune.com. M-A-G-N-A-T-U-N-E dot com. And that'll be all for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Om Shri Mahaganapadaye Namaha Om Namo Bhagavate Rudraja Namaste Rudramanya Bhavato Tarishame Namaha Namaste Astudhandane Bahubhya Mudate Namaha Yataita Shivatama Shivam Vabhavate Tanoha Shivacharavya Yatavataya No Rudramanaya Yate Rudra Shivatano Tajanat Ahegastasarva Utainam Vishra Bhautani Sadhrta Pranayatinaha Namastane Lagrivaya Sahasrakshaya Medhude Asoye Asya Sattva Dohante Abhyaganandamaha Pravanchadhanvanastam Vajoratriyodhyam Yashtadehastaitavapparata Bhagavavapa Abhadatyasadastakam Sahasrakshasatejute Mishevya Salyanam Bhakashivana Shubhana Bhava Vidyantanakka Baddhina Vishalyopana Bhagam Bhuta Anesham Astenava Abhurasya Nilankati Yatehe Dharme Dutta Mahatme Babhubate Dhanoha Tayasmane Vishwadastama Yakshvaya Paribhuja Namaste Astvayudhajana Tataya Dhritnavehe Padayena <laughs> 
Mandi, 